Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. I pray that you are being blessed by these messages and by the reading of the Word of God yourself in your own daily lives. And I thank you for tuning in. We're delighted to have you with us. Today we are in the book of Revelation, and we are going to be in Revelation chapter 5 today again. And we're going to continue making some progress through this book as we look at it in depth and then do a wonderful summation and overview as well as we go along so that we truly understand the intricacies of the message that God has in this book for us. So today I want to read Revelation chapter 5. I'd like to read verses 1 through 7, and we will cover those today. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. In this passage, we are continuing to study and to see what God chose to reveal through John about this worship service, this special ceremony that is occurring in heaven. And so we looked in the last episode at the scroll and the search we talked about those things in detail in the last episode. Today, we're going to move forward and see more about these and the interactions. Notice the initial results of the search. Initial results of the search that went on. Because the loud angel had proclaimed, Who is worthy? And then the search begins. Notice this. Notice where they searched. Notice the extent and the scope of the search. They searched in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And in all of those places, no one was found worthy to take that scroll, to hold it, to open it, to loose its seals, or to read it. Remember, not just anyone could open or loose the seals on this scroll. Only the one who would be found worthy. 
Notice the search went on in heaven, which would include angels, cherubim, seraphim, four living creatures. It would include the church represented by the 24 elders, all the believers included in the royal priesthood that Peter spoke of, and perhaps the 24 representative, perhaps apostles or foundations for that church, as they are called elders, and perhaps even Old Testament saints, if they are there, not even one of them, not even the greatest of them, Abraham, Moses, David, not one of them was found worthy. They looked in heaven. Nobody there was found worthy in the initial results of the search. They looked on earth. All those living on earth. This would be, I believe, after the rapture of the church. Nobody, nobody, not one on earth was found worthy. And they looked under the earth. Not one dead person, not one unsaved person. Those would be the ones that would be left after a pre-tribulation rapture would be the unsaved people who are dead or who are alive. Under the earth could include the people in hell at that time and or devils or demons, of course. Not one, not one of any of these would be found worthy to hold that scroll, to open its seals, to loose its seals, and to read it. Then in verse 4, we see John's reaction to the initial results of the search. John tells us that he wept much. In other words, he was wailing out loud. He was strongly weeping, sobbing in wails, in anguish because no one was worthy, because no one was good enough, because no one was qualified and deserving to open, read, or look at it. It could not be read until it was unsealed and nobody had been found worthy yet to do that. Notice also who it is that speaks to John. It is one of the 24 elders. That person is unnamed, but it's one of the elders. And the elder tells him, stop weeping because one is worthy. Because one is worthy. One has prevailed. One has gained the victory conquered and overcome, one has legally and judicially won the case and is found worthy. Who is this one? John is told he is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David. I want to look at a few places of scripture that speak to this, how the Bible ties together and we're letting scripture interpret scripture. I want us to go first to Genesis chapter 49. I want to read verse 1 before I go into the verses that speak specifically to this, because I want, to, I want you to see something from verse 1. 
In Genesis chapter 49, verse 1, it says this, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So this is prophetic about their future and even possibly way into their future, which we will see in this passage from Genesis 49. So let's look down at verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh or Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. This is a prophetic word about a descendant of the tribe of Judah who this prophecy calls also Shiloh or Shiloh. He is a person. And we learn from this passage about his first coming and about his second coming. In his first coming, he bowed down lay down as a lion and no one could rouse him. That speaks of him laying down his life on the cross and nobody could come and rescue him. Nobody could stop it. Peter couldn't stop it. Angels couldn't stop it because it was God's will. Nobody and nothing could stop that. Nobody could rouse him until God the Father, by the Spirit of the living God, raised him from the dead on the third day as the scriptures had spoken. So here we see this lion from the tribe of Judah referred to in both his first coming and his second. Verse 10 speaks of his second. It speaks of how the scepter belongs to him and it will not depart from him. It will not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Jesus Shiloh or Shiloh comes again. And to him in the millennial kingdom, in the messianic kingdom, shall be the obedience of the people. Jacob prophetically spoke way into the future, both to Jesus' first coming and to Jesus' second coming. Because in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3, when you read the genealogy of Jesus, you will find out that he is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the descendant from Judah's tribe, the descendant of David, the one who is promised the throne of his father, David, and he will reign forever and forever and his kingdom shall be an everlasting dominion, just like Daniel prophetically spoke of as well in Daniel chapter 7. So praise be to God. We know that this is speaking of Jesus. 
He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion, if you'll remember, was the emblem for the tribe of Judah. And it would go on the standard, for instance, perhaps on their flag. Whenever they would move in the encampment, they were directed to encamp. We talked about that in an earlier message where they would encamp in certain places around the tabernacle. And Judah was the leader on the east side, and they had to camp there. And then whenever the camp would break up and it was time for them to move, Judah was the one that led out in the movement, his tribe. So we see Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion also speaks of a mighty hero. We know that to be true just in nature because the lion is referred to many times as the king of the jungle. The lion, the mighty hero. I want to also read Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, because here is where we clearly know exactly who the lion of the tribe of Judah is. In verse 16 of Revelation chapter 22, these words are written, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So here he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, David's root, David's descendant, and he is the root and offspring of David. As we know from Matthew chapter 1, and from Luke chapter 3. Then I want to read Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah prophetically speaks of Jesus when he says this in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Praise be to God. And then in Jeremiah 33, I want to read verse 15 and 16. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Here again, a second witness. Jeremiah prophesies it a second time. Next, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So we see prophetically Isaiah and Jeremiah both prophesying about this root of David, this branch that will grow out of the roots and, and be the stem. And the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. Remember, he is the one with the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold fullness 
and completion and perfection of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Then Zechariah also speaks to us in chapter 6, and I want to read verses 12 and 13 of Zechariah chapter 6. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Praise be to God. Jesus is this prophesied one, this lion of the tribe of Judah, this root of David. He prevailed. He alone is the only one worthy. John sees him now. John turns and looks. He sees him in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and of the 24 elders. And what he sees now, he sees the lamb as though he had been slain. If you'll remember, in the Gospel of John, the Apostle John writes of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 29, and hears him declare, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was the one that was a disciple of John the Baptist and became one of Jesus' first disciples. John was the only disciple that was named at the cross. There could have been others. It was a public event. There could have been others standing in the fringes somewhere. But John was the only one right there with Jesus' mother, his own mother, Mary Magdalene, and some of the others at the cross. Jesus is referred to here as the lamb who had been slain taking us back to the Passover lamb from Exodus chapter 12. See, Exodus 12, the Passover lamb, all the feasts, they were all pointing to Jesus. He fulfilled that. He is the one and only Passover lamb slain from the foundation of the world to pay for your sin and for mine and to give us true atonement when we apply his blood to us to our hearts, to our lives, when we receive him, just like the Israelites had to paint the doorposts with the blood of the lamb. So we apply the blood of the lamb and it covers us when we believe in him and we are saved and we are spared. Praise be to God. That lamb was slain once for all. He was the once for all sacrifice. You can read more about that in Hebrews and check out our Hebrew study if you like. But he was slain, and yet now he is alive. Miraculous. This had never been done before. Every time the priest would kill an animal and slay those sacrifices, they were dead, dead, dead. There was no life in them, and they didn't come back to life. But this one, this one who is worthy, this one who Jacob called Shiloh back in Genesis, this one was slain but is yet alive because God raised him from the dead. He is standing alive now in and in the middle of the throne of the four living creatures and of the 24 elders. 
He is the lamb having seven horns and seven eyes. The seven horns would represent power. He has complete, perfect, and full power and authority. Remember, Jesus said after he had raised from the dead right before he left this earth, he said, all authority has been given to me. He is the one. The seven represents completion and perfection. He is the one who has all authority. The seven eyes, as we just saw, represent the seven spirits of God. And we've read that. We've read that also in a previous episode in Zechariah chapter three, verse nine, and in Zechariah chapter four, verse 10, the sevenfold fullness of the spirit of the living God. So Jesus comes near or is brought near. He comes near to the ancient of days, to God on the throne, and he takes and lays hold. He receives and accepts. He is taking. It even means to take what is one's own or to claim. Remember in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel prophetically spoke about him and how he would receive the kingdom. The Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and God the Ancient of Days gives to him his everlasting kingdom. We may be seeing the beginnings of that even here, but he takes that scroll from the hand of God on the throne. Jesus is the only one worthy. He is the owner. He's the one that can claim that scroll because he owns what it represents. It's his kingdom. It's his dominion. It's his right. It's his rightful due. He is the owner. He is the only one worthy. He is the only one to whom it belongs. He is Shiloh. He is Shiloh, whichever way you want to pronounce it. He is the one to whom it belongs because it's his to claim. John wraps it up for us here because John tells us, yes, in his first coming, he was the lamb that was slain. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 says, And he did come and humbled himself to become man, to add man to his deity. Praise be to God, add manhood and humanity to it. And he humbled himself, being obedient even to the death on the cross, Philippians tells us. He was that suffering servant, Isaiah 53 prophesied about. He was that one that died on the cruel cross that David prophesied about in Psalm 22. That was his first coming. But praise be to God now, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he has prevailed. He is coming back. He is not coming back as a meek, humble lamb. He is coming back as a roaring lion, the conquering king. Hallelujah. The one to whom it belongs. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. He is the only one found worthy in the entire search to hold and open that scroll. Praise God. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you today in Jesus name. Amen.